I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. So we're coming to you tonight, the night before the big move. Tomorrow, we go down, we pick up our two trailers, we head to Pinellas County with two trailer loads of concrete to get dropped off to Pinellas County for artificial reefs. Uh, this all came together for us uh, kind of on a whim, you know. Uh, we had a volunteer reach out to us, and my dad, who happens to be my dad, and he had seen some concrete pieces, and he immediately thought, you know, he's seen the work we've done in the past, and he thought, man, maybe maybe they can get it turned into an artificial reef. So we made some connections and dad, I'll let you bill. I'll, I'll let you tell a little bit about how you come across concrete, what it is. And we'll go into the making the connections and how in all reality, this really requires just a little bit of your time and a little bit of effort. We didn't really put a whole lot of work into it, but no. go ahead, go ahead, Bill. Well, these weights were they're they're pipeline weights. Um, I work for a local pipeline company, and um, these weights, they use them to hold the pipes down when their pipelines are put in wet areas. Um, if you didn't know it, when you fill a pipeline with natural gas, it will float. Even though it's steel pipe, it will float. So they place these weights. They have a, <clears throat> a half moon structure uh, cut out of the bottom of them, and they just set them down on top of the pipe as they lay the, as they lay the pipelines through wet areas or cross water, uh, whichever. And uh, these have been laying around for some time. We were doing some cleanup at work. And uh, I said, you know, I got to looking at them and I thought, I bet those would probably make a good reef. Uh, I wonder if uh, we can find somebody we can donate them to and uh, get rid of them versus dumping them in a landfill somewhere. So you called me. And then I said, I immediately, then after hanging up with you, placed a call to Jim. Yeah, I called you and said, hey, you got any connections with FWC or uh, what would it be, Marine? Marine it's all Patrol. FWC now. Yeah, it's all FWC. Yeah. yeah. So, Jim, explain to everybody how you made, because you really didn't have connections either. We all know some people inside of FWC, but a connection you had unrelated to or semi-unrelated to the thing actually connected you to somebody else correct correct in fact um oddly enough i learned about the catch of florida memory program by listening to one of under pressure outdoors earliest podcasts and i got a curiosity i started snapping some pictures and got involved with that program and i've started to build a relationship fledgling relationship with a, a, a one of the biologists up there who helped me write an article, <coughs> excuse me, helped me write an article. And uh, she's also helped me with some fish identification, like believe it or not, sometimes black tip sharks, fine tooth sharks, spinner sharks. They're, they're not as easy to tell apart as you think. Does that Google, I wonder if that Google app will work for that. I don't know. Oh, I can tell them apart now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Jill's been fantastic. So your artificial reef called up the catch a Florida memory person. Uh, Jill, who's fantastic, and then um, she put us in touch. Pause that. 
Yeah. So after I got the call from Will, I reached out to Jill, who's a biologist at FWC that runs the Catch a Florida Memory Program, which ironically I learned about listening to one of Under Pressure Outdoors' earliest podcasts. So I called Jill, uh, who's been fantastic at helping me understand the difference between different shark species so you don't misidentify them. Told her what we had. She quickly put us in touch with, I'm going to butcher his last name, it's either Keith Milley or Keith Miley, who runs the Artificial Reef Program for FWC. And then he, in turn, put us in touch with different county facilitators. But there's so much work being done on the East Coast by the Army Corps of Engineers right now. We had to go all the way over to Pinellas to find a yard that actually has room and is, is looking to take on new gear. So after, but everybody we talked to, it didn't matter if it was Volusia County, Brevard County, they were all super enthusiastic, really helpful, apologetic that they didn't have room, really responsive. And then we we were, inter- we were introduced to... Uh, Did you send them any pictures? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, I was wondering. Sorry for the long. Long story short, we got. I want to make sure I don't leave anybody out because they're also helpful. We we got introduced to Chuck Mangio or Chuck Mangio again butchering the last name. Sorry, Chuck. Um, over Pinellas County, and he was like, "Bring them on now." So then we had to get the. You know, we had to start juggling. Well, where are we going to get? How are we going to get all the gear over there? Because these things weigh like thousand pounds a piece. And then I reached out, started reaching out to volunteers. So, Bill, you went all the way to Georgia to grab a trailer so that we could get that. And then Jason Gonder, who's always constantly showing up at different conservation projects or BHA events or fundraising. He's just so reliable. He shows up and he, he donates a trailer. He's the man that that made the pig. Yeah, he's <laughs> the guy that did the pig, the pig roast, right, for um, helped us with a fundraiser. And then we got together, what, Monday night? Yeah. We, all all yeah. of a sudden it was it was – we got all the stuff. Game on. Yeah. And then yeah. Matt Harbin at one time had volunteered a truck, and but fortunately, Jordan's truck's working. Um, but now we've managed to get the trucks in line, the trailers in line. Uh, got a tractor. The tractor broke down, but then there was a backup lull that was leaking fuel, every, or leaking uh, hydraulic fluid, but um, we got it all loaded up. It was environmentally safe hydraulic fluid. Yeah, I was going to say, don't <laughs> tell the EPA. <laughs> Edit. So the uh, it's all loaded up. Bill got, I guess, most of it chained down, and tomorrow, tomorrow's the big haul. We hook up and we haul. Tow rigs head out. Yeah. yeah Chuck is going to work late because the yard closes at seven, but there's no real way we're probably going to get there by then. And then hopefully we're going to chat with Chuck tomorrow. Yeah, we're going to definitely head down there, and we'll set this up on the back of Jordan's flatbed and stand there around it, and uh, we'll have a quick chat with Chuck when we get there, but. You know, not everything that you see as waste can be turned into an artificial reef. Uh, I mean, there was a there was a quite a disaster not too long ago in the Gulf of Mexico where they took out uh, some well-meaning individuals, dumped a lot of tires, and they went to the bottom. They wanted they were thinking that it would turn into an artificial reef. The issue is the tires leaked like the the substances inside the tires as they decompose leaked and actually re- repelled fish and created a giant dead zone 
Well, tires are made from petroleum products. Right. I was going to so, say, man, yeah. Yeah. the vulcanization process yeah. is nasty. Well, so you would think, too, that honestly, with between like storms coming in, hurricanes, stuff like that, the tires probably wouldn't stay. I imagine there was more than just dumping well. tires because I would you also You could chain one of them weights to it and they'd stay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but whenever you, you're looking at artificial reef material, you need something with relief. So it has to have a hole in it. Yeah. And you have to think about, and, and the reason behind that is that uh, you the fish need someplace to hide from predators. Because when you, inevitably, when you build a reef, right, um, it attracts small fish because fish just like to hang out around stuff in the water. They get lonely. They need a structure. So they congregate to your reef and they all hang out. And when all the bait is there, then the predators show up. Well, not only that, but things start to grow on that reef. Uh, right. Food for the, for the bait fish. Which right. Which the bait fish track the... The game fish. So, in order to keep the reef from getting wiped out of bait fish every time it fills up, you have to have a place for them to hide. So, you have something with a relief in it. And then, it you create different microchasms across the reef. They can't all be uniformly sized holes and stacked all the same because you have to have a point where a smaller hole nurtures a, a, a younger adolescent fish. And as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they need bigger holes. Just like if you think of like a... Uh, What's crabs the, the crab yeah. yeah i can't think of the name of what it's called crab. 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 Yeah. they have to continually get a bigger shell well the same thing for a fish it needs a bigger spot to hide as it gets bigger so uh from the little bit of research i did today evidently a great artificial reef material for adolescent fish is cinder blocks huh well, i was like makes yeah, sense. yeah 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 they got holes in them yeah pretty neat but so it goes center blocks, you know, the road to concrete road dividers, because when you lay them on their side, it also creates that, that hole because they have that shape to them. Just depends yeah. on how it lays. Uh, concrete railroad ties, use up concrete railroad ties. They can all be stacked to create cracks and crevices. And But the concrete evidently poses a pretty good surface for stuff to attach to as well. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got kind of a, a almost porous surface to it too. So other, you know, coral or whatever can attached to it and grow as well. And that's the hopes, right? Yeah. The artificial reef would, would hopefully uh, at some point create new life in a reef from what you have there. And I mean, there's artificial reefs get made intentionally or unintentionally out of a lot of things. Uh, you, you've got several oil rigs off the coast of California that there are environmental groups that want the oil rigs gone. Right. But, the population of juvenile red snapper around the oil rigs counts for 20% of the population of juvenile red snapper in the Pacific Ocean around those seven oil rigs. Jeez. Dude, anybody that's into spearfishing knows that an oil rig is its best friend. Yeah. Yeah. They create a really cool, you know, they're only 400 feet of water. So you have this this column that goes from the seabed all the way 400 feet up. And as it goes, it's different ecosystems from the bottom to the top, right? And they have, you know, their cross beams and support braces and stuff are places for stuff to hide. And there are groups that want them gone. They want oil out of that area, and that's understandable uh, from an environmental aspect. They had a bad oil spill in the 60s there, and that kind of sparked the whole movement to get rid of them. But now the state of California is, is saying they don't have to leave because of the environmental impact they're having now because their lease is almost up on the, the area they have them in. Um, and they are they're saying they, can, they have to take the oil rig off above water but they can leave the structure below which in the original lease they had to take everything from top all the way down 
they still have to cap off, you know, put a cap on their, their they have to cap well and yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. But it would be crazy to think about pulling that out, in my opinion, because you've created such a diverse ecosystem, biologically diverse ecosystem there that's harboring massive amounts of sea life. 20% of the red snapper juvenile population across seven oil rigs off the coast of California. That's insane. Oh, absolutely. Jeez. So it's something to think about. I mean, it, there, it makes me a, wonder where were they before they were oil rigs or did anybody notice that shortly after they put in the oil rigs, all of a sudden, snapper. damn, the snapper bites <laughs> yeah. on fire. Yeah, <laughs> snapper skyrocketed. But, you know, and that's the thing, man. We need these artificial reefs out there like that because the guy who is going to spend a bunch of money to go 40 miles offshore and take the time to buy, to, to catch the smart fish, right? Where you have the the very thin fluorocarbon leader with the small hook and all that, and it just, just to fool the fish, right? He's going to do it whether artificial reef is there or not because that's what he or she likes to do but you want to get kids to fish and catch fish you need dumb fish yeah and in order to have dumb fish you have to have a lot of fish either dumb fish or, or hungry or, or quick fish because yeah. the line don't stay in the water that long yeah <laughs> <laughs> you need dumb fish in order to have, dumb fish or quick fish in order yeah. to have those you have to have a lot of fish because uh, when you get into populations where there's only a few fish a few fish are there because they're smart fish and artificial reefs harbor that type of thing. Um, I should have looked up how many we have on the state of off the coast of Florida, but I know that you can go on FWC's website and they post coordinates to all that stuff. Oh man, there's a bunch, but there's a bunch of them that are like down in the Keys. A lot of the artificial reefs are are boats. Yeah, somebody's Big boat sank ships. Yeah, you know? no, they they um like the Spiegel Grove. Yeah, which was a I think there was a troop hauler or a gear hauler. You know, they take all the engines out. They degrease it. It's a massive process. They don't want to put the, you know, they don't want, yeah, to put don't want the bad stuff in the contaminants. Yeah, and they sunk that thing in 160 feet of water. But take it out there and scuttle it. That's pretty shallow for a, a big maybe ship like that. Yeah, yeah. The towers, it's deep. Um, yeah, I, I've dove it, and I want to say that when you're on the, when you're on the deck, you're in 100, 120 feet of water. So maybe it was 180. I don't know if it was 200 to the bottom. Um, but there's all, I mean, there's, there's Goliath grouper down there the size of what was scary big, you know, they cruise right past you. Like, man, I'm glad there's a lot of things that are easier pickings <laughs> yeah. than me. Right. Um, you just thought you were big until you see one of them. Oh yeah. They're massive. Yeah. And, and, but all kinds of things, there's different shrimp boats and all kinds of stuff that's out there. And a lot of it has been sunk intentionally. And you got rubble piles. Right. But yeah, back in my spearfishing days, we, you can't spearfish those ones down in the Keys, um, but there are artificial reefs out there that you can, or used to, used to be able to at least. Yeah. So no. essentially, we're creating a rubble pile, right? Is yeah. What we're doing. Okay. Yeah. Some of the some of the older rubble piles down in the Keys. The only, it's hard to even tell they're rubble piles anymore because they started them so long ago. It's just they, you, you know, you're, you're cruising along a flat ocean bottom then there's these piles of fans and corals that are 20 30 feet tall you might be in 40 feet of water and yet 20 feet of relief all of a sudden 
and they're in conical patches. They're just a little too, you know, it's not something yeah. that occurs naturally, but they're beautiful. You, you look at yourself and say, somebody put these here. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like we were, we were fishing in uh, Port St. Joe Bay and I wouldn't recommend this, but we ran across, uh, it, it, was, it was a refrigerator. Either a refrigerator or a filing cabinet. And it was amazing the number of fish that were in that little white sandy spot with that thing right in the middle of it. And we're like, holy crap. Toilets. Yeah. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that, though. No, you're not. Yeah. So <laughs> You're not allowed to make your own artificial reef. I hear they work good, but I don't know the source that told me. You but they. Uh, you yeah. take that stuff you find, and you can get a hold of these people that, and donate it, because it does require permitting to get that right. stuff done. So yeah, You just can't go dump it in the water. But look, I tell you, and what's the gentleman's name in Pinellas County? You said Chuck. Chuck. Chuck even already told us in the email when they get it out, he'll try and get us get us coordinates to it. They're not nice. they're not trying to yeah. put this out there and hide it from you. They'll tell you where they put it. Did they you, don't care. It's on FWC's website. I mean, I know we're talking about saltwater, but did you have you done any research on freshwater? I mean, I know I've heard over the years people taking old Christmas trees, sink a cinder block to it and stick it down in the water. Now, granted, that's not going to last that long, but so for a pretty good while. Finish up. I'll I'll come, I'll come back for, to it. for a pretty good while. You're going to have a, a a fish tractor. I, I wouldn't call it a reef because it, it's 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 a, an attractor. It starts building algae on it. Bait fish come to it. They can get in and out of the branches. Um, so, whether it be Lake County Water Authority, FWC, whatever, they have fish attractors in the Harris chain. Yes, and they're just essentially like big PVC. Or whatever they used to build them, it's just like a PVC kind of like tree, a Christmas almost, tree, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. yeah, but it's yeah, you know, environmentally safe. If you want to see one, like physically lay eyes on one in the water, you can join us at our small game hunt in Seminole Forest this year, and I will walk you over to Bear Pond right at the front, point off the edge of the dock, and go, "That's a fish tree or a fish attractor." <laughs> yeah, because they've got I think six of them off the back side of the dock. Yeah, and dude, the bass hang out all up in that. And I mean, the bluegill are all up. Wish in it would have been there when we were kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't hardly uh, fool those bluegill anymore. They get no, caught so often. Yeah. No. But uh, it's it's still a pretty good spot to fish. A nice dock, nice clear lake. But catch and release. Yeah, man, we used to love fishing there as kids. Though. It'd be interesting to get involved in some of that stuff in freshwater too. Although it's not as prominent, it does happen. Like you were saying, yeah. there. and and those also those fish attractors are again. Marked on FWC's website. I was going to say, if they're not marked on the website, I can tell you on the Harris chain, there's a buoy above them that says fish, fish attractor. attractor. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't see that, you probably shouldn't be driving that boat. But, I, can, I can remember as a kid fishing with a, an old guy that he had actually sunk some hay bales off the end of his dock and put bags of cornmeal. He would drop out a bag Woo! of cornmeal on it. For and used it to for and then you plop your shiner out there and lo and behold the lunkers came in yeah <laughs> buddy <laughs> I think that that is a technique that is used by certain less scrupulous fishing guides in different parts of the state probably like, how come yeah. every time I come out with you man they're here but if I come out to the space when you're not here then well they just move around sometimes that's part of the technique well they they used to make blocks of cornmeal and something mixed together where they could you know we take it out and just drop it and sink it instead of trying to put it in a pair of old pantyhose or something but i know they used to make these blocks that were cornmeal for that 
attracting fish. But I don't know if you're supposed to do that. Yeah. I think that might be a no-no. <laughs> yeah. Sure, so, it's like you don't want to encourage people to throw hay bales. They all break down and all the stuff that then right. turns into stuff that turns yeah. into red tide. Now, Would that be considered baiting just like deer hunting? Yes. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's one of the things that I never thought of until I saw it on Matt's dad's dock was that pump that he had at the end of it his dock. It was a fan. Was it a fan? Yeah. It just circulated water and created a big sandy patch in front of his dock. Holy Good monster Lord. bluegills. Freaking slabs down there, man. They can make panfish, but you can get a big pan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better yeah. bust out the water. Like a baby. 12-inch frying plan <laughs> yeah. that you get to, for one bluegill. You get that 24-inch disc. That's yeah. what you need to fry some of those bluegill. They're freaking huge. Look, I looked in there. I'm like, man, I better come at this with 10-pound test. I've ever come over here. Those <laughs> suckers got some meat to them. I, that's what I was thinking is the discipline to not haul those things out of there. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're those kind of bluegill that when you pull them up, they have a forehead where they're, the fat kind of extends over the front of their eyes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they got to not look like that. Somebody done whopped them right on the head before yeah. they come back. Yeah. Well, that, that lake is a does not have public access. No. But there's no, plenty no. of people It's a very, on it. very, very yeah. clean lake. Yeah, and I gotta think that I've gotta think that some of the people that live on that lake know that that's there. Oh, I'm sure. So, well, I mean, there must not be any so teenagers in that in any of those houses. We grew up because if I was 13 or 14 years old, <laughs> yeah, there, there, wouldn't, did there wouldn't have been a fish on that spot two days you're, later. You're looking at the two teenagers at one time that were taking because <laughs> we used to ride our bikes down there and and you know or we'd take a, a golf cart or a lawnmower and haul the John boat down and drop it in the water. We even and, at one point made a contraption to haul it that had we had a trailer but we didn't have anything to pull the trailer so we made a contraption that had a trailer ball on it with tires that we could pull the John boat down there with. Yeah, think about what they and now granted this is old timers. What they do for triple tail? A stick in the water with a piece of carpet on it. I mean, it's a re- it's it's an attractor reef. I wouldn't we I call, it triple call it triple tail. Wouldn't call it a reef. I guess you'd call a it a piece of attractor. bamboo. Boogie boards. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you, you I, I really discourage people from doing that. And as much as we talk yeah. about it, it it works. But it's also refuse in the water, and it's garbage. Um, when you when you get with these reef programs they don't just go out there and drop it they do it right they make sure everything is there so they're not when they put what would have been garbage destined for a landfill into the water they put it in there for a purpose and it's no longer garbage they take the time to clean it up to make sure it's not going to release chemicals or materials or decay rapidly and just create the the muck bottoms you see in a lot of our lakes here and, and create, you know, algae blooms and things of that nature because we don't want that. You end up like you did with they put all the tires in the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico where you're like, I made a reef. No, you made a dead zone, right? There's no fish there. You don't want to have the, the opposite happen. So take the time, volunteer your time with your material. And, and if Do you really right. want to put it out there, yeah, go out there with them if they'll let you. I'm sure, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm sure they would love an extra hand if they can take on volunteers. Conservation work takes volunteers at every level. Right. When you think about what concrete's composed of, all of it came from the ocean originally. <laughs> yeah, sand, rock. But when you hear about guys building 
PVC structures and sinking those. It's petroleum. Now, it's not probably going to break down the same way a tire would. Right. But eventually, it's going to break down, and you'll end up with all that crap all that they're having to sift beaches of now. Right. right. That, that little microscopic plastic. Um, or in one of the places, you know, when I first found these things, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. One of the places we fish would catch triple tails. Guys were going out and putting boogie boards out or, you know, sinking a cinder block with a pool noodle three feet under the water and some cloth under it. And uh, what what it seems to be happening now is some of the guys that put those out there saw other people, I think, fishing their buoys. So now what they've done is they've got them marked on the GPS, but the buoy is just under the water. So you create navigation hazards. Oh, right. Absolutely. So, yep. yeah, there's, it's just an example of how somebody who's looking to have a little fun came up with a good idea. There's people who say, that's not a good idea. That's not natural. That's, you shouldn't do that. So you know where the triple tail are. I get all that too. But that is now quickly degraded into potentially dangerous activity. So <laughs> yeah, you know. we're beating it to death, but do it right. FWC does, like Will said, they they have a whole process and thought that they put into it. So if FWC goes out and puts a reef or a buoy or something, they're going to put something out that's not going to get broken off by a storm and end up in the Gulf Stream in a pile of trash. This is or, or tear a guy's lower unit off. Yeah, there's science behind it. It's oh, not just and engineering, and I, right. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. So it's it's one you, you look at that stuff and you, maybe you think if you look at that and you're thinking, man, I could make a reef out of this. Instead of going and dumping it in the water or going and dumping it into the landfill, just make a phone call. Make a phone call, send an email, and if it if it can be made into a reef and they can accept your material, they're probably gonna take it yeah, because they- you know you're talking a an underfunded or you know an underfunded program. It's not like they have a bunch of money to go buy all this stuff. And so when you're giving them used up stuff, they're more than happy to take it. Pinellas County was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are going above and beyond because we're driving two hours to drop this stuff off tomorrow night to be there late at work, to offload everything and get it stacked up because they need that material. And I know there's a yard down around the Punta Gorda area, if anybody's listening. There's a yard down around the Punta Gorda Punta Gorda area that's actively seeking material for a reef as well. If it wasn't so far from us, we'd have took it down there. But <laughs> yeah. we're gonna we're gonna get it out where it's gonna get used anyway. Right. All you have to do is snap a picture, send it to Keith, call FWC. They'll put you in touch with the the artificial reef administrator, and they'll they will bend over backwards to get it done. I mean, he put us in in touch with like four different, four or five different places to take it to. And yeah. it just was, Pinellas County is the only one could take I it. I say it Pinellas County has been like extremely grateful yeah. as well. But you're right. It, it was very quick. This whole process has happened in a matter of two weeks, five weeks, five. So not to belabor just the reef. That's just conservation. Right. You, you want to organize trash cleanup? It's probably hard to do in a week, but... With social media and texts and phones, it's not that hard. And you can go remove yeah. tons of trash from places. Um, raise money. It's just not that hard. It's hard if you're one person. Right. Go recruit friends. 
right? If you don't happen to have a podcast or haven't started your own podcast, call an organization. Call somebody with a podcast. They'll call us. Yeah, right? absolutely. That's something we should probably make known that although we don't want we don't want people calling us up and saying, you know what you should do? However, if you've got a good idea and you're committed to it and you're going to work it, I'm pretty sure that this crew would do everything they can to back it. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, I'm not going to, we're not going to come in and uh, take your idea from you and run with it. Right. We don't need more work. We want you to <laughs> we'll be a do part more of the work. idea. Yeah. We want yeah. you to be a part of the idea. Right, you come yeah. here. You, well, you you do you do the the uh, the research and and get it started. We'll help you with the legwork and and getting thing getting the ball rolling forward and and making sure the project gets done and getting you in front of the right people to help get it done as best we can. And that's as simple as reaching out to us on Facebook at Under Pressure Outdoors, reaching out to us on Instagram at Under Pressure Outdoors, sending us an email at Under Pressure Outdoors at Gmail dot com and if you hit one of those places you'll get a response from one of us the the me jordan or jim yeah so we will get back to you and we'll we'll see what we can do to make it happen conservation is a continuing effort and for those that maybe don't want to come up with their own project i believe about february this year we're going to be assembling Next year. Assembling. Next year. Sorry, February 2020, 2022. We're either going to be assembling or repairing 50 wood duck boxes. That's the plan. In April, we're going to do the crawfish boil and probably raise some money for somebody. And then we're thinking early June about doing a Wakaiva River cleanup. And we will raise some money for another conservation organization organization there. So come on by and support us because we're supporting other people. Yeah. Another thing to think about, too. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do a tip of the week now because we're fixing to we're going to pick up from here. And then you'll we'll come right back in live from the, the drop, drop, so- the drop site in Clearwater. And uh, you get to talk with their. Artificial Reef Program. Man, I'm terrible with his name. Keith. No, Keith is is FWC. Okay. Chuck. 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 Okay. We'll talk with Chuck about their Artificial Reef Program, and uh, you get to learn a little more about that. And then, uh, but I want to get this out before I forget about it tomorrow after driving and all that stuff. Conservation and, and stuff like that. I get it. If you, you don't have, you look at that, like, I don't have the money to donate all that stuff to whatever organization. Guess what they want? And and, and also, and, and just like money, volunteers. Your time is golden. Yeah. Show up. Yep. Be there. Do something. That's all it takes. That's how we started. Yeah. Right? That's how we've got where we are. We literally just show up. I can do that. So if you guys want to add something in now, Jordan, I know you're not going to be there tomorrow night. No, I'm not, but I'm going to go ahead and throw in, and uh, I'm just going to say you know somebody, right? Because in all this trying to get organized together and everything and find trailers and trucks and everything to pull all the weight down there, we've all known somebody that could help us somewhere, right? 
if you don't think that if you have some stuff you want to donate or you want to get this done, but you don't have this to do it or that, you know somebody. Yeah. There's several hours of work into this project, but it wasn't all at once. No. It's reaching out to this person, reaching out to that person. Yeah. Somebody's always there to help. I can tell you this. If you're listening to Jordan tell you that you know somebody and you're like, I don't know anybody. Hello. Yeah. Send us an email. Yeah, if you heard this, you know somebody. Yeah, we are somebody. Just because we all drive pickup trucks, do not think we're going to help you move, though. (laughs) I mean, you know, you see somebody with, hey, man, you got a truck. Can you help me move? No. We're talking. Move your couch? No. (laughs) Move a couple of tons of concrete? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We only take on the easy jobs, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised Al Solano didn't just pop up out of nowhere because, you know, oh, heavy shit that's hard to lift. <laughs> There's Al. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was it, it wasn't 110 degrees out there, so we didn't sweat enough for Al to show up. Yeah, probably. We really didn't know, have to lift that much either. It was pretty hot today when yeah. I was up there <laughs> <laughs> rearranging that stuff on the trailer. It was pretty hot today. Well, yeah, let's... That, uh, that cold front's done gone away, so we can... If you guys are ready, let's let's pack it in and get ready to head to Pinellas County Clearwater tomorrow and, and drop this stuff off, and we'll come right back at you. Yeah. See you tomorrow. Adios. So we are live down here. Not quite live. We're on the ground in Pinellas County in Clearwater at the site where we dropped off all the artificial reef material to... Charles, and so I'm, I apologize, Charles, but I already forgot how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> it's it's Charles Mangio. So, Charles, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the uh, Pinellas County Reef Program. Oh, that's a long story. Um, so, I, I really got involved in it when I, um, I came to the county in about 1996 and started working to the, with the county as an animal control officer. And, um, but I had a commercial diving background before I came here. And um, happened to see a job posting for artificial reef technician uh, about 2001, I think, is when I saw the posting. And I was like, well, I think I'm qualified for that. And it sounds interesting. Um, so I applied for the job, ended up getting it. And um, I've actually been with the program since 2001. Uh, it's gone through a lot of changes over the years. Um, I'm the last one standing, so to speak. So I'm, I'm managing uh, the program. And um, but I'd love to go into some history with it, and not sure if you want to do that. Absolutely, as, as go we ahead. Go through. Um, so the artificial reef program in Pinellas County has been around. Um, oh gosh, nearly fifty years. Um, there's a lot of um, don't have a whole lot of data from the early times, but in the 1960s, uh, there were plenty of uh, local fishermen out here that were doing their own artificial reefs. Um, a group of fishermen, um, probably in the 1970s, approached some of the local cities here uh, to try to develop a formal, get some funding and develop a formal artificial reef program. They were successful with that and um, uh, managed it through kind of grant funding through some cities for a while. Um, then uh, that group approached the county and asked the county if they would take on the formal program and fund it. Uh, the county agreed, and sometime in the early 1980s, uh, it became a program for Pinellas County. Um, and we were unique in that we actually invested into our own self-propelled barge, um, have this staging area here um, uh, used for the program, solely for the program. 
and we would collect and deploy our own material 365 days a year. Um, over the past 30 some years that it's, uh, or almost 40 years, that it's been a formal program with Pinellas County, we put out well over 100,000 uh, tons of material. That's pretty awesome. So how many reef projects does that equate to? I can't give you an exact count because data records back then weren't as good as they are now. Uh, hundreds, hundreds of sites um, around Pinellas County offshore. That's pretty awesome. So how far offshore on average are you guys dumping these reefs? Uh, they vary. We've got some as close as a couple hundred yards from shore. Um, we've got them about two to three miles from shore in some shallower water, uh, more easy access by, you know, more people in smaller boats. Um, we have uh, a series of reefs that are about 10 miles offshore in the 45-foot range. Um, then we have reefs that are in deeper water up to 80 feet, and our deepest one is 120. Um, and that's about 30 miles offshore um, to get to that depth of water here. What's the average size of the reef? Is it a... Is it a rubble pile about the size of what we're standing and looking at here, or is it can it certainly vary? The so reefs are are permitted. So the area that we deploy these materials are permitted through the U.S. Army Corps and DEP, um, and they're basically a, a, a spot out there uh, measuring about a quarter mile, a uh, square mile that we're able to place this material in. Um, so we'll we'll build structures. Some as you know, small as um, just a few pieces, uh, if they're more like a diving attractions, uh, more specific that we don't want a whole lot of rubble pile around them. Um, we've put out entire bridges that span that can take up, you know, most of that quarter mile area. Um, so they vary in size greatly. Um, some are massive and some are small, hundred, couple hundred foot rubble piles. Others are very specific. Um, Almost, uh, we do have a, a recent deployment of uh, called the Circle of Heroes, where a group of uh, um, uh, called Brighter's Future Florida um, deployed deployed um, statues. They deployed twelve statues uh, representing military veterans um, uh, from all eras, uh, going back to like World War One. That's pretty cool. That that's really neat. So what? Uh what makes artificial reefs so successful? Well, out here, they're very successful because out here it's almost, um, most of the area out in the Gulf on this side of Florida is sandy bottom. What you get naturally for structure out here is exposed limestone and a few ledges, things like that. Not a whole lot of structure. Um, so when you put an artificial reef out there where you're putting concrete or something with any kind of profile, it becomes high quality habitat for all the fish out there. Um, it'll quickly attract fish to it. Um, fish are always going to be attracted to the higher quality habitat. They're gonna um, stay on that habitat until it is at capacity and then they'll you know, branch out around of it. Um, you know, so, and depending on how, um, how things are going out there, whether you know, there's some mortality out there due to certain water conditions or anything, that population will change, but that high quality habitat will always have fish on it because it's, you know, the highest quality habitat out there. So that's really how it functions out there. What's your common species that, that tend to occupy the reefs? 
anything you can see, uh, anything that, you know, naturally occurs off the coast here. Um, you get a lot of bottom dwelling fish like your groupers that people like to see. You see a lot of snapper out there. You see seasonal migratory fish. Uh, the reef, the reefs happen, especially if it's higher profile off the bottom, will hold a lot of bait fish. And those bait fish like to, you know, cling around that, that structure, which brings in all your pelagics around it. So um, they're definitely going to attract just about everything. Um, certainly wide variety of, of fish where, you know, if you were to go down and look at some of the natural bottom, it's probably more selective in what you're going to see. But because this material, you know, is, is got such a high profile, it's always going to hold a variety of fish. So when you're, when you're choosing location to drop the reef, is it more of a question of if you build it, they will come? Or do they decide where the reef is going to be because there's already a certain species there that they'd like to make more of? Great question. And really, it is if you build it, they will come. Um, we don't necessarily, there are some um, research projects and some that, that do target specific species of fish. And a lot of those uh, materials are designed to attract a certain species of fish. A lot of that is uh, mainly for research. Um, but what we do is the purpose of our program is for fishing and diving opportunities to the public. So we put them out. My main thing when I'm looking at where I'm going to site an artificial reef and try to get a location permitted, I'm looking at access. I'm looking at how easy, you know, how many people is this reef going to serve? Um, so I look at, you know, where the channel accesses are. Um, you know, and that's why we have such a variety of, of reefs located close to shore and far from shore. Not everybody can go 10 miles offshore. Um, it's just not safe for some boats to do that. So we have reefs that are accessible to them. Um, that's our primary um, thing that we look at before we site a reef is, is really um, where, where it's easily accessed, easily navigated to. And then, of course... Once we kind of cite an area that we want to target, we'll go out there and we'll check that area to make sure there isn't any significant live bottom already existing there. So you would never permit a, a artificial reef where there's already, you know, natural structure. You don't want to impact that. Uh, so we'll go for an area that's mainly all loosely consolidated sand and try to stay away from that, you know, exposed limestone areas. Is there a site where... Uh then the public can go to to access coordinates to the reefs. Yes. Reefs. Yeah. For uh, Pinellas County, we we put this information out. And honestly, if you just Google Pinellas County Reef, you will come up directly with our website. On that website, we've got an interactive map showing all of the uh, locations that we have deployed material. We give out a lot of um, exact coordinates to some of the structures. Um, uh, quite a few of them, actually. And then we give, like, you know, featured reefs that, you know, maybe the divers are looking for. You know, we've shunk, sunk some pretty decent-sized ships um, that, you know, are very popular with the divers. Certainly a, a site like the Circle of Heroes is going to be very popular for divers. And, and mainly that site really serves divers more than it does fishermen. Um, so we got that website. It gives all of the coordinates, a lot of history of our program. And also our contact information where if there's someone who's looking for more specific information. 
So what are some of the struggles the program faces on an ongoing basis? Well, we're really fortunate here uh, in Pinellas County in how we set this program up. The program is actually existing in our solid waste department. Uh, the reason it exists there is it serves two purposes. You know, the main purpose for the program is to create fishing and diving uh, opportunities for the Pinellas uh, public. Um, but also it serves as a diversion program for waste materials that may come to the solid waste facility for disposal. So we would rather reuse those materials, get them out of the waste stream, than we would dispose of them. Um, so it's funded out of there. Um, it is because solid waste is an enterprise fund. Um, we, through our tipping fees and the operation of our waste energy plant, are able to fund this program um, at a level that many county programs cannot match uh, because a lot of those are tied to the general fund. It sounds like it was fantastic. If I understood the history that you laid out at the beginning, you had sportsmen who were obviously probably interested in putting more fish where they could get to them, started building the reef bucket, bucket biologist, so to speak. Exactly. And then I assume saw that it was working, said, hey, we're on to something here came to the cities, the cities got behind eventually the counties, and now you've got this fantastic, well-funded program, a lot of sim symbiosis yes, between the sportsmen and the county, and that's what ultimately drew, drew us here, right? And yep. we're hoping to add to the legacy. Absolutely. Uh, what you bring here uh, will be deployed as an artificial reef. Uh, we're hoping that we can get that out there within the next year. Um, you know, with your delivery here, I think I've got about um, 1,500 tons worth of material that I'm able to put out. And build, you know, I don't know if I'm going to build one big site with it or maybe I'll split it up in, into a couple sites. Um, but certainly it will go out there and it will become high quality habitat. So, uh, see, now you can tell we're on the water. You can hear somebody partying down there. <laughs> yeah. Hear the music. You're on Clearwater <laughs> Beach. <laughs> Authentic outdoors. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of uh, materials are, are good for artificial reefs? Um, the concrete, the, the structural concrete that what, uh, what's similar to what you guys brought today is absolutely the best artificial reef material, um, in my opinion. It is long lasting. It is, you know, really durable the way that concrete is, is built. Um, it, it, it handles deployment very well. So, um, it's not fragile. And, and honestly, when you're building these reefs, you're, you're, you're handling them with large equipment. You're putting them onto barges, and you're and you're really pushing for the most part, pushing them off them barges, and then they're falling 40 feet to the bottom and on top of each other. You want something that isn't going to just break apart into rubble and stay solid. Also, they're dense, so um, that material is going to remain stable. Um, you get these storms up here. You get a you know a hurricane that's throwing up you know 15, 20 foot seas. You'd be amazed at um, how that can actually affect material 60 feet down. Um, I have seen, you know, just through natural wave energy reaching the bottom, it'll actually move six-ton pieces of concrete over time. Um, but they don't move much. You know, they are very dense and solid. And that's, it's really an important component when you're building. What, you wanna, what you're building out there, you want it to last. You want it to be compatible with the environment. You want it to be stable. You want it to be durable. So what's the average life of a reef, of a man-made reef? 
I don't think anyone knows yet. No. <laughs> it depends on <laughs> the material. Um, I mean, I could see them staying out there as, as viable habitat for thousands of years. I mean, I think it really depends on the environment and whether so you, or not they eventually get covered up. You don't up. see a lot of deterioration then? No, you do on, obviously, when you put out metal like ships sure. and barges. Those will... Uh, relatively, you know, on a 50-year span, degrade to the point that they, you know, no longer have a whole lot of structure. They collapse in on themselves. Eventually, they'll become a stain um, on the ground. But when you're talking concrete, um, you know, I don't see that breaking down. I, I don't know what the lifespan is, but I'll guarantee it's in the hundreds of years, if do not you thousands. Dive? I do. do you? Okay. So what has been the most rewarding aspect of executing this program? Uh, I, I'd have to say it's, it's almost the legacy, and not me personally, but me having a hand in building something that is going to be there, you know, for those hundreds of years, for, you know, for, for future fishermen, anglers, divers, um, you know, to go out and use them and also become, you know, be beneficial habitat that, is going to function way after my time. That'd be uh, pretty cool to go out in a boat and say, I made that. I made right that. Yeah. And, you know, having a hand in that has yeah. been just rewarding of itself. Um, it's so easy to talk about this program. And, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of negativity to it. Um, it's definitely a positive program all the way around. It was a, it was a learning experience when we were, we were kind of fishing in the dark, so to speak. And started off by actually calling the Catch a Florida Memory Program and then learned that there's a artificial reef coordinator at FWC. Yep. And then to find out, I sent uh, Eric, Eric the pictures. And it was the first thing he asked me because, uh, you know, they know what they're looking for and you know what you're looking for. But I, when I started the process, I, I would say more than half expected to be told, you know, thanks for the offer, but. <laughs> and that was, I was completely mistaken in that. There was enthusiasm from minute one right along the line until we met you and even then to hear about your passion for why this is cool. And it aligns, I think, very much with why we thought it would be cool from the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Build something that's bigger than you. And you guys just added to it, um, definitely. And there is a lot of passion in it. Um, Florida FWC, the, the artificial reef program that runs through the FWC, uh, State Department. They are they are very high energy, and they're involved in artificial reefs not only in the state of Florida but nationally. Um, you know, the state of Florida obviously has the largest artificial reef program. Um, you know, arguably in the world. I mean, there are I, um, there are other programs um, nationally that. You know our fishery programs more like farming and things but for what the way we do artificial reefs and the purpose for it we are by far um the largest is that because we have the diving community and we are so well known for fishing that location location mm, location okay. yep <laughs> absolutely so we we took kind of a, a a very roundabout way to find you is there a a shorter distance people can travel if they have some materials like what structural material you know there's plenty of construction going on around here is, is there a an easier way to get that stuff donated um it really on your location just about every coastal county um or very um even some counties might regionalize it just about every coastal county has some type of program um so 
but how they run their programs and whether they can take material, a lot of that depends. Do they have any active permits, you know, currently? Do they have a place to store it? Um, things like bridge demolitions that occur all the time in Florida. Um, oftentimes, uh, those contractors that get involved in demoing bridge are well aware of the artificial reef program, the state, and they'll contact them or they'll contact the local county that they're doing it in and actually inquire about that before anything even starts on the bridge. Um, and many times it ends up as artificial reef. Sometimes, you know, depending on the economics of it, it might not. Um, or if they have a, another use for it, you know, sometimes that'll win out over putting it out as artificial reef. But it is very common that those uh, very early on get designated to be disposed of as much as possible as artificial reef. So you've been doing this for quite a long time. Uh, 20 years, you said? Yep. So I know you've got, before we let you go, you, you've got to have at least one funny story from, from doing this. <laughs> Oh my gosh, funny story, huh? Um, now that one caught me off guard because I wasn't thinking <laughs> of... Uh, um, I've got stories, not all of them funny. <laughs> my, my, you got I a probably tragedy? can't tell a few of them. <laughs> no, I don't want to tell any tragedies. Um, gosh, I... Uh, yeah, just a funny story, one of your most memorable experiences uh, being involved with this program. I'm telling you, one of the most memorable ones is um, there's a bridge you can see uh, just off this pass, uh, not the closest one, but the one farther. When that bridge uh, was replaced and built new, um, we received that material with, from the contractor, and I got to watch them take this bridge apart and build a new one, um, you know, kind of close up. And it was amazing the feat of engineering that went into taking the old bridge out and, you know, building the bridge um, in just these enormous pieces and how they handled them was just amazing. On that barge, we were taking pieces out, single concrete pieces that were weighing up to of 60 tons. And the, the massive cranes that were on these barges, I, I, I mean, I was, on, I was on a floating island and these massive cranes lifting this material that, you know, dwarfed anything standing next to it, you're just insignificant and plopping that in the water and making a reef out of it. It was pretty amazing to see. So is there a part of you when they're putting in those massive spans that have to come in on like a tractor trailer where the, that, that it's in two pieces because the, the back end is so far behind it. Is there a small party that's like, miss it? <laughs> Drop it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what I could do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And no matter where it lands, it's going to work. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you <clears throat> taking the extra time to wait on us to get down here on our two and a half hour journey this afternoon after we got off of work and then uh, staying a little longer to sit here and record a, a podcast episode with us. And I, I, we truly appreciate that. I was excited to do it. Um, this is my first podcast, so um, hope I, I did okay. Fantastic. And uh, hope I uh, shared some good information, but this has been a fast fantastic experience for me too i was uh, so glad to meet you guys and hope we have the opportunity to work again together absolutely um, uh, me too I'm, i've got a mile looking out for big chunks of reinforced concrete from here yeah. on out hey 
hey, this is your first podcast, our first artificial reef, so it works out. Yeah, and um, definitely I'll keep you guys in the loop. Stay in contact with me, and I'll keep you updated as to where we are on that deployment, and eventually I'll share those numbers where they ended up. Awesome, and then we'll share that with, with our followers. Absolutely. So, it that's all we got. We're going to wrap it you up. You want to ask him if he's got a scuba diver's tip of the week? I was going to ask you, do you have a tip of the week? We do a tip of the week at the end of every podcast. Safety, safety, safety. Mm. So um, before take, you know, before diving, make sure you check your gear. Make sure you plan your dive and dive your plan. Um, you know, it's not the time to... Um, you don't want to have any problems down there. When you're down there, you're on life support. So make sure that the equipment you're using is serviceable. Um, you're comfortable in what you're doing. Don't push yourself. You know, stay within your comfortable depths and uh, be safe. I'll add to that. For those of you that, for whatever reason, tend to run out of gas while driving, scuba diving is not the sport for you. No. <laughs> no. No. It is not. <laughs> so I'll tell that to my wife. She's not to go scuba diving. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll have this one out on Monday. We'll make sure we get you a link to it when it goes up. That way you can share it or w whatever you want to do. Absolutely. To I most certainly will. It'll be a good one. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate everything you've done. Thank you for yours. We'll catch you guys next week. Go in down, down at the bottom and leave us a review. We're still needing a lot of reviews. So thanks for that.